bikes are such an amazing tool because it's really not about bikes. It's bikes are the tool that accomplishes so many other things. So find find the people in your community who who are working towards something good. You know, help them do it, and, and bikes are probably something that's going to help them get to that goal. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Active Towns podcast, conversations about creating a culture of activity. My name is John Zimmerman. I'm the founder of the Active Towns Initiative, and I'm honored to be your host during this podcast journey. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's always wonderful to have you along for the ride. Today is Friday, April 2nd, 2021, and in this week's episode, I'm delighted to share with you this conversation I recently had with Zach Vanderkoy, a veteran study tour organizer and principal of the firm Inspired by Cities. Zach is an urban planner by training and has a deep history in bicycle advocacy, having worked for both IMBA, the International Mountain Bicycling Association, and People for Bikes. We talk about the impact of study tours, what you can expect as an attendee, and what it takes to pull off successful educational outings such as these. But first, before we dive into those discussions, please allow me a moment to recognize that this episode is being brought to you by the generous contributions of our donors, sponsors, and monthly patrons on our Patreon page. And we did pick up a new patron this past week. Great to have you on board, Jonathan. Thank you all so much for your support. And for those of you in a financial position to make a contribution, and honestly, any amount really helps, please head over to my website at activetowns.org and click on that blue donate button in the top right corner of the page. For your convenience, there are links both in the show notes and on the landing page for this episode. If you're enjoying the Active Towns podcast and things are a little tight money-wise right now, no worries. I completely understand, but you can still help out please consider sharing the podcast within your professional and perhaps, if appropriate, your personal networks. Word of mouth is still one of the best ways to grow our audience and it provides fresh momentum to the culture of activity movement. One final thing before we get started, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to and rate the Active Towns podcast on your preferred listening platform. These two simple actions really do help with the visibility of the podcast for those out looking around for something to listen to. Thanks. All right, let's get this conversation with Zach rolling. So Zach, hey, it's wonderful to connect with you here today. Welcome to the Active Towns podcast. Thank you. Excited to be here. So first off, thank you so much for taking time to chat with me today about Inspired by Cities. But before we launch into all that goodness, uh, can you share a little bit about yourself? Sure. My name is Zach Vanderkoy. I'm an urban planner by training, but I've spent most of my uh, career working in bicycle advocacy. And what I do currently is help cities and local governments and community groups go on uh, study tours to uh, catalyze action for better bicycling in their communities. Fantastic. Now, uh, you're you're based out of Boulder, Colorado, um, a wonderful place to be based out of. I used to live there for about a decade or so. Now, how did you end up in Boulder? Uh, I just really like Boulder. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I came on a road trip. I went to, to college in the Northeast, and I'm from the Pacific Northwest originally. So after I graduated from college, I took a long road trip home and stopped by Boulder on the way and said, this is a great place. I'd like to come back here and spend some time. And that was about 22 years ago. So, that, hey, right there, the, the power of travel. You were on a road trip, you checked out a, a place, and, and uh, it stuck. That's, that's cool stuff. 
So, so why bikes? I mean, I, I, I was looking into some of your history and I saw that you were with Imba for a while and I didn't even know that. Uh, so what, what, what inspired you about bicycles? Um, I think I first became interested in bicycles actually because of a trip to the Netherlands. Um, <laughs> it's kind of as a full circle. Um, I, uh, my last name is Vanderkoy. I do have Dutch heritage. Um, it's, it's a couple generations removed, but I went on a trip when I was a teenager to see some of uh, some of my distant relatives, and I thought, "Wow, this is kind of a, an impressive place. Everyone's riding bikes around." Hadn't really occurred to me that that was a thing, but um, I got a mountain bike when I got home. I started riding my bike to high school in the '90s in Portland, and took it from there. Just just kept following that that trail. And since you did work for Imba for a while, clearly you were passionate about mountain bikes. Yes, I mean. Pretty much, I think my goal when I moved to Boulder after college was to work for any organization with the word mountain in the title, um, and I was able to succeed there. Um, yeah, I love I love mountain biking. I love any any kind of outdoor activity, any any action that takes place in mountains. I'm I'm there for it. You know, it, it's it's one of the coolest things I think about Boulder is, and I, and I talk about this in the sense that there is this sense, uh, there's a culture of activity there. I mean, activity just permeates through all aspects of life. And sort of my joke is that, yeah, you, you'll, you'll be going out, you know, in the middle of the day, you can be out, you know, going for a run or a walk or, or something out on the trails. And you'll literally see people having meetings, <laughs> you know, while on a bike or you know, out there going for a run. And it's just such a cool place to be based out of and, and all that. Now, after Imba, you were you worked for People for Bikes for a while, correct? Yeah, yeah. I took a break after Imba and um, uh, did some traveling and some, some mountain climbing in South America and um, went to graduate school after that and then landed at People for Bikes a couple of years later. Excellent. And what did you do for them? Um, I worked on a project called the Green Lane Project which was a, uh, an effort to bring protected bike lanes into the standard transportation vocabulary in the United States. Um, so this was you know, six or seven years ago uh, before protected bike lanes were a pretty commonly understood thing. So uh, a big part of what we were doing was introducing this concept that comes you know, borrowed very heavily from, from countries like the Netherlands and Denmark and figuring out what's our American version of this and how can we accelerate the, the pace of bringing this into our just everyday vocabulary for streets. Yeah. In fact, I just released a, uh, um, a recent episode, a podcast episode, uh, interviewing uh, Nick Euler there in Memphis, Tennessee. And so we talked a little bit about the Big Jump Project, which was the next program after the Green Lane Project. And really, we, we reference the Green Lane Project as like that proof of concept. Mm -hmm. You know, if you build a protected, separated infrastructure for people on all ages and abilities facility, if you will, people will respond to it. They'll use it. They'll be like, wow, this is amazing. And then, of course, that next iteration. Now, what we really need to do now that we've done the proof of concept is to create a network and, and, and pull it all together. And uh, you and I uh, had the opportunity to, to, to get to know each other a little bit better. And um, I was able to tag along with a few of the study tours uh, that, that you were involved with as part of that Big Jump project. And uh, it's, it, it's, I think it, 
it's so inspiring to see that learning process that takes place out on those uh, study tours. And I'm actually going to pull one of my favorite quotes is, you know, that I think you were involved with was from the People for Bikes PDF document on study tours. And you, you, you may know which, <laughs> which quote this is, but it's, it's people don't know what they want until you show it to them. Is that what Inspired by Cities is all about? I think you're right. Yeah, that's a quote. I, I love that quote. I think it's, it's often attributed to Steve Jobs. I'm pretty sure he's not the first person who ever said that. But yeah, it's this, it's this idea that it's really hard to articulate your vision for what you want until you actually see what you want concretely. And that's, that's the that's the model behind taking a group of people and bringing them to another place, a different context, another country where you can see a different model and you can touch it and use it and smell it and taste it and use all your senses to, to experience it. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what inspired by cities is about. I've, I've been, you know, uh, definitely, um, COVID has, has evolved, um, the, uh, the business quite a bit. Um, travel has not been a thing for the last year, but there's still other ways that we're helping cities, take inspiration, get motivation, and be catalyzed by these travel experiences, even if they're, they're virtual or, de- or delayed. Well, you brought it up. So let's go ahead and talk about um, how you've been able to pivot during the pandemic. Well, the main project I've been working on for the last uh, couple of years has been a European-based project. So, uh, you know, just, just like in the United States with, with the Big Jump and, and Green Lane Project and all the different similar efforts going on, a lot of uh, cities in Europe are on the very same trajectory. We kind of think of you know Europe as a block as being very advanced in cycling, and that's simply not true. It's really just a very small piece of Europe. You know, the Netherlands, parts of Denmark, parts of Scandinavia. Most of most cities in Europe are on a pretty, I think, parallel trajectory to a lot of big cities in the United States and small cities too. So cities like Riga in Latvia, um, Cadiz in Spain, Rome and, and Torino in Italy are all really interested in. in improving the quality of their public space and, and, and making bicycling a bigger part of their transportation picture. So they're looking at programs like the Green Lane Project and Big Jump and saying, let's let's see how we can kind of collaborate in a similar way through these knowledge exchange platforms. So I'm working on a project called Handshake, which is a partnership of 13 European cities working with Copenhagen, Amsterdam, and Munich as kind of mentor cities there's a study tour component to it, but there's a lot of other components to all, all different forms of knowledge exchange and transfer. Um, so it's, it's pretty cool. And that's been able to continue. Certainly the travel parts of that have been delayed, but uh, until 2022, which hopefully by then we'll all be able to get on a plane and go somewhere without any, uh, any fear for our safety. But, um, but the rest of it has continued. So I've been helping out with that. Now, who would you say is your primary audience or your, your typical customer? Um, I work generally the the groups that are facilitating these kinds of exchanges tend to be nonprofits or NGOs or government programs that are administered by NGOs. So that's you know quote unquote my typical clients. But I'm working with a pretty wide variety of, of stakeholders and, and kind of multidisciplinary groups and these study tours. Um, so city officials, uh, city staff, business leaders, community leaders different people who are involved kind of in the you know, visionaries in there for their cities. And um, that's what's really exciting about these is that it, it's not a, you know, a technical experience just for engineers to study, you know, bike lane design, or it's not just a policy experience for uh, policymakers. It's very multidisciplinary and being able to have all those different disciplines together, seeing the same thing and talking about it is really powerful. 
is that why study tours matter so much? Is that, you know, that pulling together of all these different disciplines? I, I think so. Um, you know, there's, there's, a, there's not a lot of science about this, although there's more than there used to be. Someone who's been on your show, uh, Meredith Glazer at the University of Amsterdam, is essentially doing a PhD researching the efficacy of study tours and this type of knowledge exchange. So there's more science emerging on it. A lot of what, what I've done and we've done has been through trial and error. Um, I think I've done about 35 study tours like this. So we found that multi, small multidisciplinary groups choosing that audience really precisely delivers the best results and making it multidisciplinary because it, it's really fascinating because everybody kind of has different lenses that they see the city through. You know, you might see it through a, an engineering lens. If you're really focused on infrastructure and design, you might see it through an architectural lens or even like a, a social lens, um, depending on what you look at. So it's 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 powerful when you get those different people of in, with influence together looking at the same thing and, and you know seeing it differently. That's what results in big new ideas when they get back home. Got it. How important is the destination? I don't think it's that important to be honest. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're getting kind of into some of the the, the weeds here, but it's you know some some groups have, have chosen to go to say um, Seville in Spain um, because it is a place that might resemble the United States a little bit more, particularly because it did not have much of a bicycling culture or infrastructure as recently as 10 years ago. And uh, it was you know, a network that was famously built very, very quickly, implemented very quickly, and had a really profound measurable result very quickly. So that's in some ways a really great model for a lot of US cities. But I think the power, the main power of the experience is going somewhere different with a group of people traveling together, eating together, having those shared social you know, experiences together, because that creates a type of a, a bond and a shared vision that you just don't get in a typical workplace, even in a you know, pre-COVID workplace where you're actually seeing people face to face. It's not that it doesn't matter, but I don't, I don't think we're going to you know, make or break our, our cities based on whether people are looking at the Netherlands or Denmark as a model. Yeah. So from a North American context, you've probably been on more study tours than, than the average bear. What would you say is your most, success, most memorable success story that has emerged from a study tour? Yeah, that's a really good question because there's a lot. Um, and um, some of them are still emerging even you know, years after the study tour. I, th- I, think, I think about personal stories the most. You know, there's, there's one woman that, that really left a big impression on me, Roshan Austin, uh, from Memphis, and you you probably know her. Uh, maybe you've interviewed her, even. I, um, yeah, I, I didn't get a chance to look through the whole archive, but I think you've talked to a lot of people who've been on these these study tours with me. And and she came. She actually had never really ridden a bike as an adult. She purposely learned how to ride a bike just so she could come on this trip. So there was a huge personal transformation for her just to get there, and it was truly like a, a really profound, life changing experience for her when she got back to Memphis. Uh, she continued riding bikes. She started uh, organizations helping other people like her learn to ride bikes. It was very little to do with big picture policy or climate goals or any of the, the kind of things that we talk about in transportation, but it was a very deep personal experience. And she's become an important leader in Memphis and, and has, has brought a lot of that experience to the people that she's reached there. So that magnification effect of one person having a, a, an experience that changed them, reaching out to a lot of other people back home. Yeah, exactly. And you're, you are correct. I did have a chance to, to interview Roshan last year. And uh, 
And then uh, in that most recent uh, episode that I uh, released uh, that was focusing in on Memphis and some of the advances that they're making there, uh, clearly they were inspired by the multiple study tours that they have participated in over, over the years. And it's really helped build the momentum uh, of of the community, and I keep running into this uh, across the country as I'm making as I'm traveling around, looking at cities that are gaining momentum of creating a culture of activity and 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 really starting to transform their environment into more bicycle and, and pedestrian friendly places. You know, ultimately, what ends up emerging is a story about oh yeah, I was on this study tour and and it just profoundly influenced. Uh, the way I saw things, the way I saw the community, the way the, a different way of viewing the street, and and I think you're right. I, I don't think it's necessarily so important that you go to like an Amsterdam. In fact, it may be more important to go to a place, as you mentioned, that resonates more with with them. Although I do see the value of you know being immersed in a place where the culture is just so incredibly different and, and you're just like, well, gosh, (laughs) these people, they're people, I'm people, you know, it's like they're, they're able to do this and it's not such a huge leap to see that maybe we could do this too. Yeah. That's what's magical about travel. That's, that's why we love it. It's like you get to pretend to be a different person for a little while. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah. And I, I, I want to maybe, revise my answer a little bit. I don't think the destination doesn't matter. It definitely does, but it's really about matching the audience to that destination, like you said. And then it kind of depends what the goals are and where they are. But yeah, like being in Amsterdam for a week, pretending, you know, living there like a person who lives there, it, it, it's amazing how quick, like the new pathways in your brain get drawn and it just sort of becomes natural and, and, and easy. At least for me, the first time I went there, I was like, wow, this, this just feels... Like, this just makes sense to me. I, I, I don't think it's anything that, I think that's a common experience that a lot of people have. It takes a few days to get used to it. But yeah, when you're, the scale of the city just kind of becomes what, what feels like it always it always should be. Um, then when I come home after being there for, for a few weeks or months, I always have a few days of like re-entry shock where everything is just like 20% larger than it should be. <laughs> but, but then I adapt to that too. So we're very adaptable our, as humans. Yeah, yeah. So going back to the makeup of the, uh, the group, the cohort that is traveling over, I've had the, the privilege of being in you know, two different types of situations. I've had a pr- the privilege of being on a group where it was a sort of cohort a situation where, you know, people from a single city, but I've also been uh, on a, a study tour where it was peers from different cities. And so you, you get a different sort of result from both of those. Can you, can you address a little bit of, of, of what's happening in both of those dynamics? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. They're, they're two, two different models and I think they both have strengths and weaknesses. Um, one of the most valuable things about traveling with the group is, is not necessarily learning from, you know, the, the people that you're seeing over there, but it's the, 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 the networking and the bonding and the discussions that happen within the delegation. So having multiple cities, um, adds a whole nother layer of comparison. And, and it's, um, I, I was kind of surprised, but there, there just aren't a lot of opportunities for peers from different cities, even very 
similar cities to, to really interact and, and share their share their best practices and share their experiences. So that's really that's really valuable. I'm just learning learning about how different even American cities in the same state are governed and operated and how they function. That can be really helpful just to, to share. But on the other hand, if you have a delegation made up of all people from one city, it allows you to go a lot deeper uh, into that you know, network of leadership within that city and, and get, get into uh, maybe different sectors of people that otherwise wouldn't have an opportunity to go on a trip like this. So, you know, faith leaders and other types of community leaders or philanthropists or just kind of looking for where the change, the change agents are in that city. And it's different everywhere. Um, I think the, the, the biggest thing I advise like cities and, and nonprofits that ask me that are thinking of doing this is to really understand the power dynamics in that city and really understand where the levers of opportunity are to make the changes you want. Cause it's going to be different in every place. There's no single formula for you got to bring this person, this person, and this person. Um, it's different every time. Now, earlier I asked you about the most memorable success story that you had. Uh, now I'm going to ask you about the most memorable challenge that you had that occurred during a study tour. And how did you and your team navigate through that situation? On one of the study tours, I think it was maybe 2016 or 17, we had an opportunity to, in, to, to invite and, and bring the uh, incoming commissioner for transportation for the city of Portland, um, uh, a man named Steve Novak. And, and Steve Novak um, uh, could not ride a bike, um, and, uh, but he was in a very powerful, important position in the city, and he was open to it, and he really wanted to come and experience it. So and when we're on these tours, we do spend a lot of time riding bikes. It's a very fundamental part of it. But but what we said yes we'll we'll figure it out we'll you know we really want you to be there and see this and experience this alongside everyone else so it was uh, you know his, his attitude was great we 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 found ways to do it um, we we got bike taxis we he he became very multimodal he you know rode public transportation taxis uh, micro mobility basically all the he picked from the whole menu of transportation uh, available in these places except for the dominant one. Um, which was which is bikes, and he was able to move around just fine, participate just fine. I think that was a really um, valuable experience for him and his colleagues from Portland. It sounds like this is a lot of fun, but it's work. <laughs> Can you sort of address what a typical day is like? Yes, yeah, and that's that's an important point. One barrier to this type of knowledge exchange, not just in the U.S. but around the world, is kind of the perception that this is kind of just a vacation, like a junket, um, you know, a waste of time and money. That's a really strong perception in some places, and it's you know, something that has to be taken seriously and overcome. One of the ways we do that is by making it intense. It's hard work, like, and we make that very clear from the beginning. You know, you're showing up for to do some work, and this is this is not a vacation. Um, so, so to a typical day, we'll we'll wake up. We might travel to a different city by public transportation to to see uh, you know a different place. We might um, meet with some uh, elected officials or some technical staff or some uh, someone from the community in this city telling us kind of their what's going on in their city. There'll be a lot of exchange back and forth. You know, we'll get on on bikes at some point and, and get out and see it and look at the problems. And, and some of the, the most valuable exchanges there are not necessarily, here's what we've done really well, but here's what we're really struggling with. And and it's it's actually a lot of, a lot more two-way than you would think. Even, even cities and a place like the Netherlands don't have everything figured out, and they actually really appreciate outside eyes. Um, so, uh, you know, talking about problems is usually often more valuable than talking about only successes. We'll 
maybe get on a train, go back to where we're staying for that night, maybe have another uh, you know experience after that where we're kind of processing the day. So one of the things that I really encourage groups to do is set aside time, not only to take in information, but to, while they're there, begin to process it because it's a lot. And, and it kind of becomes this rolling conversation throughout the week about, okay, this is what we're seeing here. We may not understand it all right now. What does it mean for us back home? And that's always what we keep coming back to. What can what are we going to do when we get back that's different because of this? So that's usually kind of the, the, the flow of a day. And then we get up again and do it the next day and, and repeat for about five days. How has this experience uh, contributed to your growth uh, professionally and personally over the years? Um, it's, it's shaped me personally tremendously because I had the very same experience. Like I said, when I was a teenager, I went to the Netherlands. I went again when I was a graduate student studying urban planning. And I was working on a, in a planning, urban planning studio with uh, some students from a Dutch university. And when I went there, all I could think about was more people need to see this. Like this, the, the, you know, the, this is not normal. <laughs> and for a lot of people living in the Netherlands their whole life, they perceive it as normal. They're not really aware of that. Um, so, um, I, I, you know, I immediately thought I just really wanted more people to experience this. Um, and luckily, um, a lot of uh, kind of leadership in the bike industry was thinking the same thing at the same time. They really wanted to have an opportunity for more people in, in U.S. governments to see it. So I'm not. I've always loved travel, but I'm. I'm. You know, I'm a. I'm a planner. I'm a. You know, enthusiast. I'm not a uh, necessarily an event planner, but I became one. <laughs> so I uh, you know, have a broad network of relationships. I, I got really good at at, at uh, researching. Uh, restaurants and hotels and travel plans and itineraries and all that stuff. And I'm, I'm pretty good at that stuff. I'm, I'm pretty detail focused. So it was a good fit for me. And you're pretty patient, I would say too. That's important for travel. Things go wrong. They always will go wrong. You know, expecting that and, and, and uh, rolling with it elegantly is part of the process. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you're, you're, you're based out of one of the most bike-friendly cities uh, in North America. Uh, do you lead study tours in Boulder, in your, home, in your hometown? Surprisingly not. You know, even though I've been li- I'm living in Boulder, working in Boulder, um, I, um, my focus has always been national and international. Um, so I, I've worked with a lot of cities in the U.S., um, cities in Europe, but um, not, not the one I live in, actually. A note to Zach. I'm writing this down. Note to Zach. Uh, let's have active towns and inspired by cities launch Boulder study tours. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good plan. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, but seriously, it, it's in a situation where we're not really sure when international travel is going to be acceptable. I think that there's an opportunity here for benchmarking and learning from uh, domestic cities. And I know that people for bikes, even before the pandemic, you know, took hold in North America, they, they started looking at more domestic, uh, you know, tours. And, and, and I think that that there's, there's a place for that now that we are seeing some cities making big advances with, with their infrastructure and with their, the culture that is emerging. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's definitely a place for that. And I've been involved with, with several domestic events as well. Huge advantages there, of course, being the, the, the lower barriers to, to making it happen. I, I, I think it's a different product, essentially, with a different effect. Um, I, I think it can be really valuable for technical exchange, uh, you know, to, to see people working with the same engineering culture and the same, you know, 
requirements, federal requirements um, on how they're getting stuff done. That's that, that kind of exchange can be incredibly valuable. I don't think you quite get the same mind-blowing changes to your perspective on what a city is that you do when you travel to like a, a city in, in a different country. That's okay. That may not be what a city needs at any given moment. Um, so yeah, I think you're right. There, and especially now, how to do things more quickly, more nimbly. Um, that's a big, big topic in cities as they're kind of looking to recover from a pandemic and, and figure out how to take some of these pandemic-driven public space changes that have been made and then make them more permanent, make them better. So I think there's a big opportunity for domestic learning. How do you deal with uh, some of the language and cultural barriers that might, uh, you know, play 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 out depending on where you're going to and where the makeup of of your your tour group? Well, we're we're really lucky in the world on Earth because it just so happens that the places that have some of these incredible models also have very, very high levels of English. <laughs> so language is really not a problem at all when you're visiting Netherlands or Denmark. It's, it's, it's astounding how universal English is there. Cultural differences, though, that's definitely a bigger challenge to navigate, um, for sure. And that's, that's true even among different cities within the United States. Um, uh, culture, professional culture, in terms of how, how their city makes decisions and operates and implements things and cultural differences between them and, and some of the Northern European peers that they're looking at too. There's some issues that are easier to relate on than others, um, but there's always something to be learned from it. There's always something to think about. Okay. I kind of understand what they're doing here. What's our, how do I translate that to our culture? What is it? What did we do that, you know, we can take something from this experience. It makes me think a little bit about uh, a couple of the cities that you had mentioned, you know, obviously Seville, that's a wonderful model because it, it was an entire network that was built over an 18 month period and it's, it's a warm weather type of environment. So, you know, for, especially for cities down here in the, the Southern area of, of North America, it's like, oh gosh, if they're, they're riding, it's 90 to hundred degrees there. And, and folks are doing that. And then, you know, other cities like a, like a Munich um, or a Rotterdam where the context is such that it's a car dominant sort of environment that's transforming itself. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, it's kind of that concept of matching the audience to the place. Um, Seville is a really great example because it, it, you kind of squint your eyes. It looks and feels like you could be in, in parts of it. You could be in Houston or Miami or Los Angeles. Um, yeah. Cause it is, uh, that bright climate um, for a lot of cities, you know, the fact, and it is, um, of course, Spanish speaking, and that helps uh, some cities that, that are areas of cities that are primarily Spanish speaking, maybe makes it a little bit more relatable as well. I think about, you know, Rotterdam's a really good example that you brought up of a, a city that um, we'd love to visit. It's the worst bicycling city in the Netherlands. Most Dutch people would say that's a terrible place to ride a bike. It's still got a, you know, 25% mode share. And that's because the city was decimated in World War II. It was basically leveled. So it was rebuilt in a much more modern style. And it looks and feels a lot more like a, a contemporary North American city than a very old city like Amsterdam. So we go there to the worst bicycling city in the Netherlands to see something that looks and feels a lot more like home and already works really, really well. And I think what's what I find most compelling about the 
Rotterdam story is that it's an evolving story. I mean, you've been traveling there obviously for over the past decade. Uh, the transformation that I've seen just in the few times that I've been there have been astounding. Yes, yeah, and that's that's really only about the last you know ten to fifteen years, and that's very much like in in a lot of U.S. cities. That's a top level policy decision that's been sustained for you know throughout administrations and governments. Um, and they've just been working really hard at it. They've been, they've been building, they've been testing, they've been trying new things. They've made it a priority. And um, yes, it's improved there dramatically and they're very proud of it. Um, that's one, one of the great reasons why it's, it's nice to visit there because um, it's, it's not the people who are, who are working there doing that work now have a really fresh memory of the time when it wasn't so good. Other places that may not be true because uh, once not, you know people have pretty short memories, especially when it comes to cities and infrastructure, they may react really strongly to a change at first, but within a year, you can hardly remember how it used to be before. Um, and that's true universally. Uh, so because Rotterdam is working so hard and changing so much right now, it's really helpful to see that they're struggling with a lot of the same things that U.S. cities are struggling with. Um, you know, People aren't always accepting of changes right away. Um, they, they, all, they may realize that some of the changes they implemented weren't the right changes and they have to go back and revise them. That's part of the process. So really, really great city to visit. I, I can't recommend going there enough. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Where next for you? I mean, when you're able to travel again, do you, do you kind of already have an idea where that next uh, inspired by cities study tour is going to be? <laughs> That's a really, really good question. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been something of a year. Um, we I just don't know. No one knows when, uh, if and when things will be quote unquote back to normal. They, they probably won't be the same. So um, I certainly hope to keep doing things like this. I certainly think that there's a lot of value to be had from exchange with, with other cities in, in Europe and domestically. I don't have a good answer though. I, I, I think you know this summer, not probably a lot, but I'm hopeful by that by the summer of 2022, we'll be able to, to do some trips and you know, if, if something, if I find a way to do something uh, similar, but but stay here in Boulder, that's an option too. Yeah. Is this going to be like the first time in a long time you haven't been traveling? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I really haven't gone anywhere for the past year. So um, yeah, it, it has been very strange. I, I'm used to, you know, spending at least uh, a couple of several weeks, if not months in Europe every year. Um and uh, yeah, but you know, there's a lot of good things about being closer to home too. So uh, I'm just uh, like everyone else, just kind of waiting to see what's going to happen. Yeah, and and I know you have little ones too, so you know you're yeah yeah you're you're, you're uh, you know focusing a lot more on on being dad and and uh, you know taking care of that side of things too. When you look at that, you know what you've been thrust into in terms of not being able to travel. Is there a place that you kind of miss and you're like when you look when you when you have a conversation with your wife and you're like you know I really miss not going to this place it, what place would that be for me it's the it's the Netherlands it's it's Amsterdam it's I mean I, I love all the places that I've, I've been to and learned from in Copenhagen but that's the place that feels most like you know I guess a second home to me it it, it just makes sense to me um, I've got a lot of friends there, a great network there. So yeah, I, I miss being able to go there for sure. Now, I know something about you, and, and the listeners may may as well know this too, is that you actually lived there for a short period of time. Let's talk about that experience. 
Yeah, yeah. In um, 2015, basically with People for Bikes, I, you know, I our team was small. Um, there was just a couple of us working on this, but we got to the point where there was enough demand for these kinds of trips, and the, the study tours were just a piece of what we did, but there was enough cities that wanted to do this that we kind of realized we should just set up shop there um, and just bring as many Americans as we can over the course of a, you know, a summer season. So that's what we did. Set up in Amsterdam uh, and uh, did, uh, I think, 160 people from different cities around the country came over the course of multiple weeks. Uh, my stay there actually ended up getting extended uh, unexpectedly because my, my son was born there, but uh, he was born uh, a little bit early. So we were expecting to be back home by that time. So I had the experience of becoming a parent in the Netherlands too. Got a little bonus time there. Fantastic. So what was that experience like? Because that's a little bit different than helicoptering in and, you know, shepherding, shepherding around your, your little goslings and ducklings, you know, as part of your study tour versus you, you, you were able to just kind of like ease into a routine. How many months total were you there? I, let's see, about four and a half months in Amsterdam and another two months in Copenhagen. Okay, so half a year. So you, you were over there, you know, quite some time. So what did it feel like to be a local? It feels uh, good. I, I think that's why things like, you know, Airbnb are so popular. Because, like, that's, that's the appeal of travel, I think, is to go and pretend you're someone else. Um, I mean, that's, it, it sounds pretty simple, but that's what I love about it. Um, like to go pretend I live somewhere. And it was, uh, yeah, um, you know, it, I, I was never fully a, a local in the sense that I, I couldn't access a lot of the services there. I couldn't, you know, I was, I was on a, a basically a tourist visa, so I, I wasn't a resident, but I definitely loved my neighborhood. I got to know the, the people, our neighbors and, and the, you know, just that the little tiny pocket of Amsterdam where we lived with a newborn certainly missed having family close by, but I, I like I said, I've always felt really comfortable there. And I think being there for that long made it even easier to just pop back in at any time. It's like, I, I know my, I, I know the place. Um, now, do you speak Dutch? Um, no, <laughs> um, uh, with a little bit of shame. I, I, I've, I've learned, I, I try to learn how to pronounce the names of people and places correctly, but um, it, it's, it's a challenge to learn a language in a place where everyone is so fluent in English. Um, it's, I think you'd have to live there for quite a while longer to, and really try hard to find someone who's willing to speak Dutch with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I found uh, the Dutch language to be relatively intuitive. You can almost figure out a lot of the words. Now, it, it, compared to the Danish language, which mm -hmm. I was you know, having spent a fair amount of time in, in both the Netherlands and in, in Denmark, I, I've, I was like, I I couldn't figure out anything on the, the Dutch or on the Danish menu compared to the Dutch menus. Well, Dutch people have this, you know, hundred years tradition of being kind of world explorers and traders and they're all over the place. And no matter where you go in the world, you'll find Dutch people. There's only 16 million of them. So if, if, if they only spoke Dutch, they wouldn't have very many people to talk to. But um, fortunately for us and for the rest of the world, uh, communication is very easy in, in English. Is there anything that we haven't yet touched upon that you want to make sure to, to share with the audience uh, about Inspired by Cities? No, no, <laughs> I hadn't thought of that question, but no, um, I mean, I, it's just fun to talk about business again. And um, hopefully we're, we're kind of nearing the end of this, uh, this, this pandemic and, and, and we're going to be able to go places again. That's really exciting. So 
What advice would you have uh, to the individuals who are out there in the audience and they're inspired by what we've been talking about? What would what would your advice be for them uh, for how they can make a difference in their communities? For sure. Yeah. I mean, it's all local. Like all these decisions are local. And um, that's why, you know, it's at the city level, it's even at the neighborhood level. So it's just get to know the people in your community who are in a position to make changes. That's the most important thing. Know, know who the players are. Know, you know, get to know them, see how you can help them. Um, that's kind of the, the, the theory of change that we sort of operate on. And, and it's been a big part of kind of my philosophy about this is, you know, meet people where they are. Bikes are such an amazing tool because it's really not about bikes. It's bikes are the tool that accomplishes so many other things. So find, find the people in your community who, who are working towards something good, you know, help them do it. And, and, and bikes are probably something that's going to help them get to that goal. Yeah. So before we officially hit the the record button, I asked you, you know, what you liked most about bikes. So let's, let's address that again. What do you like most about bikes? I like what they can do for cities. Yeah. I, I mean, bikes as an object are, are fine. Um, but I like how they make cities places where you see people's faces, you know, where they, they just feel, uh, it's a scale that is much more human. And, um, I, I like that about them a lot. And I like how it's, it's, you know, pretty universally accessible. Um, you know, there's certainly some people that can't access bikes, but it's, it's cheap. It's easy. Um, it's something that, you know, it's very, I don't know, democratic in a way. Um, so yeah, I really like the, the impact they have on cities. What a wonderful ride it has been, huh? You know, starting out on the mountain bike and, uh, and look where it's taken you all around the world. Yeah, for sure. And I'll still go out on mountain bike on the weekends too. That's, that's a lot of fun. Hey, what's the best way for folks to uh, follow along with you and your work? Uh, inspiredbycities.com. That's, that's the best way to, to reach me, to find me. Very good. Very good. Well, hey, Zach, it's been such a pleasure catching up with you today. Thank you so much for joining me on the Active Towns podcast. All right. Thanks, John. Thank you all so much for tuning in to episode number 68 of the Active Towns podcast. I don't know about you, but I am completely sold on the study tour concept, and I do sincerely look forward to the time when we can get back out there and learn experientially through educational travel. Zach is one of the best in the world at pulling these outings together, so be sure to check out his website, inspiredbycities.com, as well as the resource links in the show notes and the photos and links on the landing page for this episode out on our website. And I'm serious about pulling together Active Town's Culture of Activity study tours in the future. So drop me a line at john, that's J-O-H-N, at activetowns, that's plural, dot O-R-G, if you might be interested. I could totally see us dropping in on Zach and the family there at his hometown in Boulder, Colorado. <laughs> By the way, until we're able to travel again, I'm doing more and more virtual presentations and online consultations about what it takes to create a culture of activity. Please reach out if you'd like to learn more. Okay, and finally, don't forget your tax-deductible contributions to Active Towns make a big difference in helping me to cover the overhead cost of producing this content. To make a donation, just head over to activetowns.org and click on that blue donate link in the top right corner of the page. Thank you so much. Okay, that's all for this week's episode. So until next time, this is John signing off by wishing you much activity, health, and happiness. Cheers. Cheers.